And an amen. Amen and amen. Well, this past week, uh, my wife, Crosby, as some of you know, uh, she uh, sent me a little text message and she was like, hey, you got something in the mail, which was like uh, kind of a, a, an unusual text because we get stuff in the mail all the time. And so I, I got home and uh, again, she was like so excited to tell me that I got something in the mail and I just had walked inside the door. And so like what comes in the mail is not the first thing on my mind when I get home. And so I said, yeah, that's great. That's great. She's like, I left it in the car. Do you want me to go get it? And I'm like, you know what? It's really not that big of a deal. You know, like we can get to it tomorrow. We can get to it whenever it is that you want to get to it. It, and it's not that big of a deal. She's like, no, no, no. Like, like, let me go get it. And so finally, she was so excited to the point of being giddy, which is like, a, you know, like kind of not normal for, for Crosby, to the point of being, finally, she just blurts it out. She said, you got jury duty. <laughs> and I thought, what kind of sick joke is that, right? What kind of sick joke is that? So excited to tell me. And you know, the whole experience... It just reminded me that there are some things that are, that are unavoidable in life, right? There are some things that are unavoidable in life. Like anybody ever do any traveling on the 5 or 805, right? Between the hours of, of doesn't matter, right? 5 or 805, right? And some things are unavoidable. Anybody, you don't have to raise your hand, right? Anybody got that one neighbor, that one neighbor in your complex, in your neighborhood, you slow your walk down a little bit, right? So you don't have to cross paths. Oh, is that just, oh, okay, just me, right? That one neighbor. What about Thanksgiving? Anybody, anybody uh, eat too much at Thanksgiving, right? That's just unavoidable, unavoidable, right? There's just some things in life that are unavoidable. But the flip side to that, the flip side to that is that uh, uh, what about the things that are avoidable? What about the things that are avoidable in life, right? What about, what, what about the, the pain that comes from the avoidable things in life, like, like that one relationship, Right? Or that, that one decision or that one conversation. That as we look back on it, we realize that, that that was probably an avoidable thing that we could have missed out on. So what do we do about that? The good news is, is that the Bible actually has stuff to say to us. So as we've been in this conversation about storms, and a lot of, in, the, in our approach to storms have been these things that kind of spring up on us, yes? Right? We, yes? Right? We've been looking at that, about, about storms, or storms are these things that kind of spring up on us, and then we learn, how do we navigate that, right? Like, like someone's, someone's death, or, or cancer, or, or a job loss, right? And we've, and we've been looking at these storms, and how we navigate them, but the, but the angle I want to look at this morning is, is a different angle. And so we're going to look at that. And the good news is, is that God actually has something to speak to us, whether it was an avoidable storm or whether it is an avoidable storm. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Acts, the book of Acts. And before you put that up, I want to give some context so you can move, move to the book of Acts. However, you get a, copies of the scriptures, we want to encourage you to do so because we study the text. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27. 
But as you're moving that place, let me, let me set up some context because context is always super important for us, right? We, we love our favorite shows on Netflix. Yes, 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 yes. And when someone says, hey, you got to check out this show, you don't go jump into uh, season two, episode three. You go back to the beginning so you can understand the context. Same thing with the scripture. So we're going to be looking at this person named Paul. Say Paul. Paul, Paul and the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul is this really important figure in the New Testament. Uh, He's credited with writing about two-thirds of it. But Paul, Paul was one of those guys that like, he didn't didn't start off by uh, being awesome. He didn't start off by, oh, God has come into my life. Let me now begin to write the two-thirds of the New Testament. That wasn't Paul. Paul was, was, uh, he was a Roman citizen. He, he was, he was a, a, a Jewish person. Uh, and, and according to Scripture, there was like nobody that could touch Paul. Paul like knew the Scriptures. He knew everything there was to know about it. But he was applying it differently than what God had intended. And the, and the story goes that, that, God, that he, encounters, he encounters God, he encounters Jesus, and he has one of these like miraculous uh, turnarounds that Paul literally does like a 180 in his life and starts to follow God. Now, when that happens in your life, sometimes that can upset some people. Did you know that? That when you, when you do a little about face and you decide that you're going to give God your all, sometimes that can upset some people in your life. You might have a sister that say, why in the world are you giving and serving so much, right? But so Paul had this experience, but back then it was, he was really ruffling some, fe- some feathers to where he got to the point where the, the Jewish people at the time, which was the church, the church at the time wanted to get rid of this guy named Paul, but they, but they didn't want to do it themselves, so they tried to get the Romans to do it. And so Paul, as a Roman citizen, appeals to Caesar appeals to Caesar. It'd be like appealing to the president. It'd be like you getting a traffic violation and you say, hey, before you go ahead and sign that ticket, I would like to talk to the president, please, right? And, and back in their time, they, they had these, this way of which they could kind of appeal to a higher power and then they could go and talk to them. But Paul, all along the way, his whole point in doing it was because he was going to share this experience that he has, hap- has happened. But in the text, what we're going to look, like, look at is that Paul is on his journey to Rome. He's, he's moving. He, they, are, they decided, we're going to send you to Caesar. If that's what you want, you want to go to talk to Caesar? Oh, by the way, talking to Caesar usually did not end up well. In fact, like what usually would happen is that they would use that person for sport or for entertainment, uh, and it would usually cost him their, his head or their life or whatever. So it wasn't a good thing. So they're like, you want to go to talk to Caesar? Fine with us. Go ahead and do that. So he's moving in that direction. So what we have here in Acts 27 is this like unbelievably detailed account of his journey. You see, the Bible, you got to understand something about the Bible. The Bible is like unbelievably uh, economical, meaning that everything that is in here has a purpose. It has a meaning uh, uh, to it. It's not like anybody ever write like a sixth grade essay, right? And it had to be like 500 words, right? And you took a little liberty and you said, well, I was, you know, I was, uh, I went to the kitchen and I made a sandwich and I put a little mayonnaise on that sandwich and it got a little pickle in there, right? And you're like, what? This has nothing to do with anything. The Bible doesn't do that. The Bible is very, very concise in what it talks about. But Acts 27 is a bunch of detail about Paul's journey uh, to, to Rome. And so we're going we're gonna to look at that. We're going to pick that up. So if you've got it, I want to I set the stage for us that Paul is moving in that direction. We're going to look at verse 7. We're going to start in verse 7 here. So if you've got it, would you say, I got it? 
And, and as you can see here, there's like a little diagram of like where, where he starts. And as you read through 27, like ultimately he's trying to get to Rome. But how many people here, you're an American, you say the shortest distance between two points is a straight line, yes? That's about as American as, as it can get. Well, you can't do that in the sea because uh, it, would have, it wouldn't have been good. So they had these patterns that they were following. But that is what we're going to be chronicling as we move forward. So if you got it, would you say, I got it? Oh, boy. Since it's Thanksgiving, we'll put the words on the screen just for you. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Bringing in verse 7, it says this. Paul, or, or the person that is writing, some believe that it was Luke uh, that was with Paul who wrote Luke, uh, is also the author of Acts, that he was following along. And so he had all these details. And he said, verse 7, he says, We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty riding off Sneedus, not Adidas, Sneedus, right? Now, I want you to notice something. As we're reading in this text, I want you to notice the language that's used in this passage. Uh, it, it goes on. It says, We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty of riding off Sneedus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the lee of Crete, opposite Salmone. We moved along the coast with difficulty and, made, and came to a place called Fair Havens, but it was not very fair when they arrived. Near the town of Lycia, much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement uh, was a big festival in their time, and, it, and it's later in the year. And they put this in here because they're, they're, they're detailing that the time of year that they were trying to sail was not the best time of year to sail. So that's why that, that part's in there. So all of this difficulty in, in the sailing, and then Paul, say Paul, Paul warned them. He says, men, and this is almost like a, like a Monty Python skit right here. He says, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion who was in charge, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Have you, have you ever tried to talk someone out of something? Have you ever tried to talk someone out of something? Uh, uh, parents in the room? Yes, parents in the room. We got grandparents in the room. Kid, anybody ever been a kid before? Uh, yeah, that should be everybody, right? You ever, you ever tried to talk someone out of something? You ever, you ever get home late from being with family or work or something like that, and you're super, super hungry, and you drive past that thing that has the bell on it, and it says taco on the top of it, right? Taco Bell. And you're like, you should not pull in there, right? You should not pull in there. Not going to go good for you tomorrow. Not going to be good, right? You ever try to talk someone out of something? Here's Paul trying to talk them out of something, and here's why. One of, one of the, an obvious observation from this passage and from this text is that <laughs> this storm was avoidable. That this storm was avoidable. The obvious thing that sticks out from this passage is that this storm, they didn't have to go through this storm. Do you notice in the, how the author uses the language of as we, were, as we were going, as we were traveling? How many times does it say that it was difficult or, or we made slow headway or that we lost a lot of time or that the sailing had become disastrous? You see, you see the point in this whole passage, I think what the author is trying to highlight to us is that they did not have to go through this storm. 
That, that, that if they would have listened to Paul, they would have harbored the ship and waited for another opportunity to sail. But the, but the whole point of the author is pointing out to this is that they didn't have to go on this journey. Now, as we've been in this conversation over the last couple of weeks and we've been talking about storms, right? We've been talking about things that we go through and things that happen to us or, or from society or whatever. And, there, and, and we have to learn how to navigate these kind of storms. That God has stuff to say to us, that, that Jesus is the Lord of our storm and he walks on the chaos of our storm. All of that is important and we need to know how to do that. But as I was reading this passage and reading this text, this whole idea jumped out to me that there are some storms that are avoidable. Turn to your neighbor and say avoidable. That there are avoidable storms that we don't have to go through. Now, how else do I know this? How else do I know that there are some storms that are avoidable? It's because I've lived it in my own life. I've shared this story before. Uh, I shared it last week that that it was always my dream to get a, a Jeep Wrangler right? Hey, you guys, you have your dream, I have mine, right? It was always my dream to have a Jeep Wrangler. When I was 16, it was the only car I wanted, and, 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 but my dad didn't share that same dream, and so I ended up with a 1988 Chevy Beretta, right? But the dream never died, and when I got out to California, I thought, here's my opportunity. I'm, I'm going to get the Jeep. I'm going to get the surfboard, right? I'm going to get all of the stuff because maybe it'll mean some girls, right? Okay, I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest, right? But I wanted that Jeep, and so, you know, I looked high and low for them, and, and if you've ever, like, Jeeps are one of those, like, niche things where you don't just set out and, like, oh, I ended up with a Jeep. You, you look for it, and Jeep people know, and all that kind of stuff, and so, but I finally found one in the state of Arizona, and, uh, and, and I you know, made arrangements. I was going to fly out to Arizona, and uh, I was going to purchase the Jeep, and I was going to drive it back. Well, the night before that I was supposed to, to fly out, or, or the night before I was supposed to go buy the Jeep, so I was going to fly out and go get it that night, the owner decided, I'm going to take this Jeep out one last time. And so the owner was around the Scottsdale area, and so like drove it into town and, and had some drinks in it, and the boys in blue saw this all happening, and as they went to pull away, they got behind them, and the owner of the Jeep ended up with a DUI. Now, the owner calls me, explains the situation, and, you know, and thought, well, there might be a chance where you can, you can fly out here and you can still get it. You know, we'll, just, we'll have you sign the title. And so I, I flew out there. I flew out there the next day. We go to the authorities. I try to get this Jeep uh, uh, from, because from, it was impounded. Come to find out the Jeep had out-of-state tags, which meant that they impounded it for 30 days. And there was no way that I could get the Jeep uh, uh, in that process. So what did I do? Oh, I was wise like Paul. And I said, oh, I, th I don't think that I should go this way. No, 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 no. That is not what I do. What did I do? I was working for a church at the time, and uh, I had sold my car, so I needed a vehicle because I live in California. And so the church let me drive the church van. And so I drove the white church van for 30 days and then went back over and bought that Jeep. And I drove, it back, I drove it back over to California only to find out that they had changed, they had changed some uh, mechanical parts in it. And so when I went to go get it smogged, they said, good luck. I couldn't get the car smogged. And then, the, and then uh, not only was that an issue, the car had mechanical issues to where I would be driving on the freeway and it would just shut off. 
And so all of this, and I was in seminary at the time, and so I was traveling to school and going to work and all of that kind of things, and you guys all know how important and how valuable your vehicle is, say yes, right? And so I literally got to this point in my room where I think I got down on my knees and I cried as a grown man. I literally cried because I had no idea what I was going to do. You see, there are some storms that are avoidable. There are some storms that are avoidable. If I would have paid attention to the opposition and the fact that this might not be a good decision. In fact, God, in all of his patience and wisdom, thought, I'm going to give this boy 30 days to think about his decision. And I still went ahead and did what I wanted to do. Oh, I know, no one has ever done that before in this room, right? No one has ever been there. But you got to understand, there are some storms that are avoidable. Now, I literally wrote in my notes this morning, warning, before I move into this next part. And what I want to say is, is that I want to meddle a little bit in your lives. I want to meddle a little bit in your lives. Now, the tradition I grew up in, uh, the church I grew up in, like, like there was no warnings. They just meddled into your life. And so I served in that church. And then I also served in another church where there was no meddling. And, you know, I just found it's just fun to meddle in people's lives. You know what I'm saying? Just one nervous laughter. Okay, right? This is what I want to say. Listen, there, there are some storms that are avoidable. Look at the area of finance for a moment. Look at the area of finance for a moment. Not everything is a financial crisis. Not everything is a financial crisis. There are things that you can do to prevent navigating into stormy weather. There there are things called budgets and plans that you can put in place so that you don't have to go and and live in the stormy weather of finances. I know, I'm gonna try and move as quick as possible. I know, right? Relationships for a moment. Relationships for a moment. There are some boys and girls that you don't need to date. Wow, it is very quiet in this room. And and, and I know that because there are people that I've dated in my life that I probably had no business dating in my life. But there there are some people that, that, there are some uh, friends, there are some people, there are some friends that you don't need in your life. That, that if, you'll, if you'll sit for a moment and you'll observe what's going on around their life, you'll see that there's a lot of opposition. Now, I'm saying this with as much grace as possible. And I'm a pastor, and, and I believe it's our job as, as Christ followers to be salt and to be light on the earth. Yes? Yes, that's what we are called to be, right? But the scripture also teaches us about having wisdom about these things. And there are some storms that are avoidable. There are, like there are some people that might not be the best for your life. The same thing, the same thing applies to our habits and our hang-ups and our sins. Like all the stuff that's going on in the news. Has anybody been watching the news lately? Right? And it's like all of a sudden we, sh- we should not be doing sexual harassment, Right? 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 That's a yes. Like all of a sudden, like all of this stuff is like starting to come out and it's like, all, and it's very stormy weather for certain politicians, yes, and, and certain powerful people. That is a storm that was avoidable. They did not have to sail into that storm. 
And the whole point to me from this text and the point that the author is trying to highlight is that there are some storms in our lives that we can avoid. Amen? Amen. Amen. I will move on because I have a feeling many are very uncomfortable with this topic. Okay. But it's important for us. Listen, the beautiful thing about following Jesus is that Jesus loves us so much where we are but he also loves us so much that he doesn't want to leave us there. That there is movement in our life, that God wants wants to move us in our lives. In fact, the scripture talks a lot about attaining maturity and completion. Do you ever read that in the Bible? It talks about attaining maturity and completion. It actually talks about being conformed to the very image of Jesus who was the most complete, the most mature person. That, that, that the Bible, God, wants us to move in those directions. And so when the scripture points out stuff like this to us, we should jump on it because it's wisdom for our life. Amen? Amen. Some things that are avoidable. The second part from that little passage is not only were there implicit warnings that the, that the text tells us that there, it was stormy weather, it had become difficult, all that kind of stuff. The second part is that if that wasn't enough, Paul explicitly tells them, doesn't he? Paul explicitly says and warns them, listen, guys, girls, I can see that if we keep going in that direction, it's not going to turn out good for us. The point of that whole part right there is consider your counsel. Consider your counsel this morning. Consider your counsel. One of the things that I try to do personally before I ever make decisions, before I ever make make big decisions, is, is I try to seek out at least two to three people in my life that can kind of speak into my life and speak into where I'm at so that they can help me navigate. They can help me find out, is that a good place that I should go? Should I go in that direction? And we see this from Paul. When you, see, when you make decisions, do you seek counsel from the people that have sailed that sea before? Some storms are avoidable, but the good news is it's not the point of the story. Turn to your neighbor and say, that is good news. Tell them. That is good news. Not even the point of the story, but it's important for us to understand that and get that for us uh, before we move on. So a bit of context before we jump into the, because I want to move us in this passage in 27 because it's a long passage and I don't have time to read it all and, and walk through it, but, but just to catch us up to speed. So they don't listen to Paul. So, so Paul tells them and they don't listen to him. They go and they do the things that they want to do. They move forward with their plan. And, and the text tells us that they thought they had found a window in which that they could start their journey. And so, in fact, the text says that a, a gentle wind started to blow. And they thought, great, great, we can move forward. It's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. It's just a gentle wind. As soon as they push out, guess what happens? The text tells us that a, a hurricane literally hits them. That, it, that wind of hurricane force just totally knocks them off of their course. And they do everything they can to weather it. They're throwing out stuff. They're, they're getting rid of tackle. They're trying to lighten the boat. They're doing everything they can so that they can weather this storm. And the text tells us that they give up all hope of being saved. That they get to this point, they get to this point in their journey where, where they had given up all hope of being saved. Have you ever been there this morning? You don't have to raise your hand, but like I shared this morning... <laughs> With that Jeep, let me just tell you, I gave up all hope of the California DMV able to help me, right? Gave up all hope. But I was, I, I've gotten to that place before. The text, and this is important, 
And that's a, that's a key point because it's a, it represents a turn in the story. That when you get to the spot where you don't know what else to do, that can be a turn in your story, amen? When you get to the spot where you don't know what is next, that can be a turn in your story. And that's what happened here in the text, that there was a turn in the story. Look at verse 22. So Paul, they're, they're, they don't know what to do, and so Paul has been in the ship the whole time. All the crazy has been going on, and then Paul emerges. He says, but now I urge you, keep up your courage, because none of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Well, that's good news, right? I'm going to live, but the ship's going to be... Okay, here we go. Last night, an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. Remember, that's where he's going. God says, You're still going to go there, but you can take comfort for right now. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. And then you got to love this little, little line they put in the end. Nevertheless, uh, we must run aground on some island. you got to love that. Even, even though this storm could have been avoided, I want you to notice something. Look at how God responds. Even though God could have said, you want to go in that direction? Fine. It's going to cost everything. It's going to, the ship's going to crash. It's not going to be good for you. But look how God responds in the passage. God shows up and he speaks to Paul. And here we go again. What's he say? He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. One of the key things that we've been learning through this whole series of storms and when we navigate storms is that when God shows up, what does he say? He says, don't be afraid. He says, don't be afraid. When Jesus was in the hall of the boat and it was going crazy and the disciples didn't know what to do or where Jesus was at, Jesus finally shows up and, and he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I don't know what it is that you are facing this morning. I don't know if it's a storm that, that was avoidable. As you look back on it and it was something that was avoidable or maybe it was something that was unavoidable, God's word is still the same. He says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And notice, notice that when God shows up, we talked about this last week, when God shows up, he doesn't show up flexing his muscles. He doesn't show up and show them how smart he is. He shows up and he speaks to them. He speaks to them. And last week as I shared with my daughter McKinley, who's three months old, and when she gets, when she gets uh, upset, the dog will bark or, you know, or something will happen that just jars her. When I show up to her, I don't, I don't show up and start flexing my muscles. I, I, don't, I don't show up and, and, and show her my master's degree of, of, of my degree in theology. I speak to her. I said, McKinley, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And the same thing happens here in the text. When God shows up, he says, don't be afraid. But the whole part of this passage and the reason that this, is, this text part is in here is for this point right here. The whole point of the story and the anchor for our lives this week is that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Does anybody know what sovereign means? What does sovereign mean? 
What's sovereign mean? It's okay, you can guess. God is good, holy, strong. Strong. What else? God is, what does sovereign mean? When a sovereign, you ever hear this term like a sovereign nation? Have you heard, sovereign. I know it's not a word we use a lot. What was it? In charge, yeah. Sovereign, sovereign means a person that has supreme power or authority. Sovereign means a person that has supreme power or authority. What the text is highlighting this morning is what it's telling us is that God is sovereign over all the storms of our lives. You see, there's, there's certain anchors that you need to anchor yourself with. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been anchoring ourselves in different things about how Jesus is the Lord of our storms, yes? Jesus is the Lord of our storms, yes? Yes. yes. And, and that Jesus walks on the chaos of our storms, as we learned last week. This week, the anchor for us is that God is sovereign over all of our storms, whether it's a storm that, that we could have avoided or not. The truth is, is that God is sovereign. He has supreme power and authority over our storms, which leads us to this part. Because God is sovereign over your storms, in fact, turn to your neighbor and tell him, God is sovereign over your storm. Tell him. God is sovereign over our storms. Because God is sovereign over our storms, it means that God can, bring, God can bring good from our bad. Thank you, Jesus, right? That God can bring good from our bad. I don't know about you, but I have done some bad in my life. I've made some bad decisions. I've had some bad relationships. And the beautiful thing about God's sovereignty is that he can bring good from our bad. Now, uh, Paul, the same guy that we're talking about here, would, would, would go on and write this letter in Romans, one of the most, more famous verses in the Bible, in Romans 8, 28, where he would say that, that God can bring good from our bad. That God, and we know that in all things, say all things, God works for the good, say good, of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. That we know that, that God can bring all things, he can bring it together for good. Now, Another time out for a moment, for a little commercial break. I'm just kidding. But a little time out, another warning. This, this passage has been so um, uh, misused, probably more than any other verse in the Bible, that when someone's going through something, right, we, we don't know what to tell them. And so in our, in our, we have some faith background. And so we step into their situation where they're hurt and they're broken. And we say, hey, have faith. God can make all of this work for your good. Let me just tell you that that is not an appropriate time to say those words. Say yes. Right? That is not an appropriate time to use that word. When, when later on, when the, when the pain is somewhat manageable and you can have a conversation with somebody... And, the, and you can get to this point where you can say, hey, listen, God will bring good out of this. God will bring good out of this. Now, a word about good. Don't we like the word good? Don't you like good coffee? Don't you like good food? Man, there's only like two people that are like with me on this, right? Nobody else over here. You guys don't like good stuff? Of course. Okay, okay. Yeah, just checking, right? Good. The word about good. I heard uh, Billy Graham, who was this famous evangelist guy, uh, uh, talk about good once in this verse, in this context, 
See, for us, when we hear good, we think that good means it's going to make me happy, it's going to make me healthy, it's going to make me wealthy. Yes? Oh, yeah, that's as American as we can get to, right? If it's good, it's got to make me happy, healthy, or wealthy. But the point of this, and what Billy Graham would point out, is that that good here, what it means is that it will make us holy, is that it will make us holy. Holy meaning what God intends for us to be. That God can use all of the storms. God can use the storms that we probably should never have sailed into and and the storms that just sprung up on us. God can use all of that to bring good in our life. And and Billy Graham went on to use this this illustration about table salt. Does anybody like salt on your meals? Anybody like salt on your meals? Those salt on those french fries, so good, right? Right, the salt, the thing that your doctor says, you probably should bring that down a little bit, right? The salt thing. Did you know that salt is a combination of sodium and chloride? Sodium and chloride. Sodium in and of itself is, is uh, poisonous to you. That if you just have sodium, it is very dangerous for you. And if you just have chloride, it is very dangerous for you. But when you put them together, it becomes table salt. And salt, as we know, you have to have a little salt in your system in order to be alive and be healthy. And and Billy Graham puts this together to highlight and show that because of God's sovereignty, because God has a way of being able to bring something that's good and bring something that that was uh, not good, bring it together, he has a way of pulling it together and creating good in your life. Because God is sovereign, he can bring good from our lives. Say amen. Amen to that. Amen to that. God is sovereign. He's sovereign over all of our storms. And here is the turning point for that. There, is a, there can be, because of God's sovereignty, there can be a purpose to our pain from the storm. Because God is sovereign, because he has supreme power, he has supreme authority, there can be a purpose to the pain that we have experienced. Whether it was our fault or whether it wasn't our fault, God can bring purpose out of that. Look how the passage kind of comes to a conclusion in verse 33. It says, just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. Don't you love somebody that just tells you to stop and have something to eat? Okay, I'm hoping someone says that to me this Thursday. Thanksgiving, come on and eat. Paul says, eat something. He says, for the last 14 days, they were out to sea for 14 days with, with no, no idea of where they were heading, no idea of where they were going. For the last 14, you've been in constant suspense and you've gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now, I urge you, take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. Now, for a moment, this is not really pertaining to where we're going, but Paul, who's on his way to see Caesar, who is likely on his way to lose his life, the vessels that's taking him there, which means the soldiers and the people that are taking him there to his sure death, he tells them, because of who God is, the God that I serve, the God who is sovereign over this storm, the God who is sovereign over all that we face, you don't have to worry. You're not, no one's going to lose a, a hair on their head because God has told me and I have sank myself into that belief. Paul says that even though none of you will lose a hair from his head, 
After he said this, he took some bread and he broke it and he gave thanks in front of them all and he began to eat and they were all encouraged and they ate some food themselves. You see, the point of God's sovereignty, the point of God's sovereignty isn't so God can say, I'm sovereign, worship me. That's not the point of his sovereignty. The purpose of his sovereignty, one of the purposes of his sovereignty is that he can bring good from our bad. And when that happens, what it does is that it actually inspires people to hope. That when you know, when you have somebody in your life, when you have a God in your life who reigns supreme over all of your storms, what that does is not enable fear, it inspires hope. Because you know that regardless, Paul could sit in this ship and whether it was going to go down or whether it was going to get him to where he needed to go, he had such a faith in God because he believed God was supreme over anything that he faced and it inspired hope. That he had hope. But the cool thing about the story is that, is that good for Paul, yay, Paul, you wrote two-thirds of the Bible. We hope that you got it. What, he, what the cool thing about Paul is that he doesn't just sit there on, on like his holy horse and say, I don't care what happens to me. I know where I'm going, right? Rather, he inspires other people around him. He says, listen, I know that you guys have had a really rough two weeks. He said, so eat something. Eat something. You're going to need it to survive. I've already told you, God's going to get us to where we need to go. So you need to eat something so you can survive. You see, it inspired hope in Paul, but it also inspired hope for others as well. That it inspired others to have hope too. And the way that Paul inspired this hope was not only in his words, but it was also in his actions. You see, he spoke to them, and then he went and he got bread himself and he ate it. And and the eating of the bread was actually an act of hope, that there's hope. So this morning, I want to finish, Britt, band, I'm going to invite you all to come up here as we conclude. Because I want to give us a couple of things that we can take home with us this morning. God's sovereignty. And this, this might be a message for some or a few, you might be here this morning and, and you are in a storm. And so it's hard to even understand, like, how could God be supreme when I'm, I'm experiencing pain in this moment? And, and we've been talking about the, those last two weeks. I would encourage you to, to, to jump on the podcast and to, and to listen to those two. But, but this week was a, was a week for, for maybe you're not in a storm. Maybe there's been things that have happened in your life that, are, that you're on the other side of it. Or maybe you're at a point where you're moving in a direction and you just want to know that God can be sovereign over the stuff that you face. And the beautiful thing about this text and what it reminds us of is that God is sovereign over all of our storms. He's sovereign over all of our storms. He reigns supreme over all of our storms. Are there storms that we should go into? There's probably some storms in our life that we probably should have avoided. And are there storms in our life that we just, we could not avoid? avoid? Of course. Do you know why? Can I tell you right now, this morning? Can I tell you why you sail into storms that you shouldn't and then while there are storms that come upon you? Can I tell you why that happens? because you're a human being that's why because you're human because you're a person because you're not perfect because you make mistakes 
because other people make mistakes that impact you. And it's interesting in the passage, Paul did not want to go in that direction. Paul did not want to sail into that storm. But someone else's decisions impacted Paul's life. You see, you see, we, we make mistakes because we're human. And guess what? The people that are in your lives that make mistakes, guess what about them? They're human too. And the thing that you can anchor yourself on and with this morning is this truth that we have been talking about, that God is sovereign. Listen, there are a lot of things that I don't understand. I don't understand why my parents got to go meet Jesus before I was ready. I don't understand when I sit with my three-month daughter and I talk to her about her grandfather and her grandmother, I would, I would really wish that they could be here to experience that little girl. I don't know. But what I can say, what I can stand on, is that God is sovereign. I see it in the scriptures. And if you will, if you will trust God and you will, you will allow time to happen, you'll see that God is sovereign too. You'll see that God is sovereign over all the stuff that we face. He reigns supreme over anything that we face. But for us, and let me speak for a moment to those that, would, that have maybe been walking with Jesus for a little bit of time and, and have at least somewhat of a grip on this whole idea of God being sovereign. You need to hear this. The point of God, God's sovereignty in our lives isn't so that we can just tell everybody, God is sovereign, God is sovereign, God is sovereign. Rather, the point of it is so that we can actually be people of hope. So that we can step into situations and we can be people of hope. Listen, the crazy stuff that's happening in our world, from the, from the scandals to the disasters to the tragedies, listen, those, those are platforms in which we as Christ followers can step in and bring hope that we can step in and, and say that I don't know why this happened but I'm going to stand with you I don't know why this happened but how can I help you I don't know why this happened but I'm here what that does is that it inspires hope for others and to me the whole point of this passage is, is teaching us about this different kinds of storms and about God's sovereignty but also what emerges is how Paul responds to it all that Paul steps in, which a lot of these people were probably his enemies, and rather than taking a seat on the bench, he steps into the game and he tells them, listen, the God whom I belong to and the God whom I serve tells me that it's going to be okay, that it's going to be okay. So that is a lesson for us that are Christ followers this morning, that all the crazy that's going on around us and in our world can be a platform in which we step in and we say, but there's still hope. But there's still hope. Our practical takeaway this morning, navigating avoidable storms. <laughs> Pay attention to the opposition. 
There's things that are, if you're heading in a direction and it just feels like there's a lot of opposition in that direction, I'm not saying that you shouldn't go there. I'm just saying you might pay attention to it. That, that, that someone, you know, whether it's God or, or something, might be communicating to you that you might want to pump the brakes a little bit. The second part is to seek wise counsel. Seek wise counsel. You know, the story ends in uh, verse 28, verse 1, and it tells us that uh, that it all happened, as Paul said it was going to happen, that the, the ship crashes and uh, you know, the storm eventually subsides, but it tells us that everyone made it to shore safely. Everybody made it to shore safely. This morning, what if there are people around our lives that are experiencing storms in their life? What if people are, are looking to us to be a source of hope for them in their storm? What if, imagine this, I know this is hard to imagine. Imagine if society began to look at the church again as one that can help navigate them in their storms. What if society began to look at the church again at, at what healthy relationships look like? What if, what if society had began to look at the church again about what the family looks like? What if society began to look at the church again about how not to practice sexual harassment? about that idea? What if society began to look at the church again as people of hope, as people that can help navigate our storms? Let me pray for us this morning.